throughout the summer, we meet in these groups called DNA groups. And DNA stands for Discover, Nurture, and Act. And what we did was, throughout the summer, uh, men, groups of men, or excuse me, groups of three, men with men, women with women, met throughout five weeks in the summer to study uh, the letter of 2 Timothy uh, throughout the summer. And man, it was, it was a wonderful time, heard wonderful testimonies. And today we want to talk a bit about that experience and what God has been teaching the church about discipleship, about following him um, in all. Uh, so today, we invited some panelists, some very capable, wonderful um, panelists that just help us talk and dialogue about this. And I'm, I'm going to ask them to, to just introduce themselves, maybe starting from, from you down. Um, yeah. I'm uh, Jesse Escarpita. Um, my nine to five, or I should say my five to five, <laughs> is uh, I'm a shop manager at a construction company, and worshiper of God. I'm a dad, husband, brother, all that kind of good stuff. Amen. Hi, everybody. My name is Janet, and um, I pretty much have worked for about 10 plus years in the Chicagoland area, working with uh, children and youth, mostly adolescents um, in the the mental health field. Um, So just, uh, yeah. Good stuff. Teenagers are awesome. <laughs> Hi, guys. I'm Heber. Uh, I'm 24 years old. Uh, I'm an accountant for uh, a company, for a logistics company. And, uh, yeah, I'm just happy to be here, you know, and uh, just be able to just be a part of this family that, you know, God has placed me in. So. Amen. Amen. Yeah, let's give it up. Give it up. You're 24 and an accountant? Man, brother. Life, life goals. Those are goals for me one day. Um, so as we talk about discipleship, um, we, want, we want to do this conversation kind of fishbowl style. What that means is we're going we're gonna to act like you're not here. And the reason why is because we want to have some casual conversation about, about uh, discipleship, but also have honest conversation about um, discipleship. So as we get started, uh, panelists, I guess the fishbowl thing ain't working that good because everybody's looking at us. But we, we studied the, 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 the letter of Second Timothy. And Second Timothy is this, this letter written from um, Paul, who was a missionary, probably the greatest missionary um, to ever do it. And he had this protege named Timothy in, in, in a city where he planted a church called Ephesus. And he got word that uh, Timothy uh, was just scared. Um, a lot going on in the church, persecution outside. Um, there was a lot of disruption inside. And Paul, he writes this letter in order to encourage his young pupil, um, who he had been rocking with for years. And now um, he's writing to him from a prison in Rome, waiting his execution, his, his last letter. And as we, as we met in DNAs, we, we studied the whole letter, but I wanted to start out maybe briefly going one by one. Uh, what was your favorite part of Second Timothy and why? Anybody? Yeah. So I think my favorite part of the book uh, is just the closeness that Paul has with Timothy. I feel like that's how close we need to be with our brothers and sisters, just, you know, um, you know, when it comes to our walk with Christ, it just it it 
astonishes me how far and distance they are, but still, you know, Paul, uh, Paul being in prison, he still catches wind of where he's at and still has the, the courage, and, you know, he musters up the courage to still contact him and tell him, you know what I mean? That's like, that's, I feel like that's how close we need to be as, you know, with one another, to hold each other accountable in that sense, you know, so it's pretty awesome. Um, for me, it was chapter two. Um, Paul is discussing with Timothy how the Christian life is kind of like a vocation. He uses the examples of the metaphors of uh, the, the farmer, the uh, the soldier, and the uh, what was the other one? I'm going to my notes. The athlete. Something I'm not, but <laughs> he uses those. He uses, he uses those metaphors and. Uh, What's amazing about it is that that they're applicable. We can all relate to at least one of them. And uh, what's cool to me is that all of those vocations both involve being a learner and a passing on that knowledge. And I think that's a, a big part of the of the Christian walk is that we need to be learners, obviously, by our leadership, by the Word of God. Uh, instilling it in our lives, and then it's it's not just about consuming, but it's also about giving, and 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 not only being a pupil, but being a teacher also. And I think that's uh, that's that's something that that really gripped me in Second Timothy. Uh, for me, <clears throat> uh, my favorite part of Timothy is in the book. There's a chapter, so for me, the one that is sticking out is chapter six, and it's called "Be Different." And so the reason why it's my favorite is because it focuses on chapter 3 in the Bible in 2 Timothy. And um, in verse 1 through 5, it's talking about how everything the people in the world are. And it has this long old list. It's like evildoers, lovers of money, lovers of self. And as I read that, it just really kind of impacted me. And it really, um, really made me reflect and look at myself and said, man, like, this is me, you know, like we, I struggle with some of these things today, you know, and, but the good part, but the the blessing about it was like, when you keep reading, it's like, Paul is like Timothy, but when you continue to do these things, you will be blessed. And, and so then there's a positive side to it. You know, it's not, it don't leave you like, oh, well, you're bad, you're negative, you're this, you're that. But no, it's like, but when you continue in the faith, when you continue in reading of the word, when you continue to practice what I'm teaching you, continue doing what the word says, you will see the favor of God. You will know your, your, um, your ultimate destination and your goal. And it's positive. There's hope. There's, okay, I could do this. So for me, it was just like, okay, don't focus on what you're struggling with or what those negative things are, but focus on the doing of the word, the reading of the word, the, the following and the believers and practicing the getting together and accountability and all that good stuff. So, so as, we, as we met in DNAs for five weeks, kind of our, at our own pace, and as you, you just spoke, a big part of this is, is having you know, contact, like real contact, not virtual contact, with real people. Right, which might be something strange to our younger generation. Um, that was a joke. But um, based on your experience in DNAs, 
why why is it important for followers of Jesus to meet together as opposed to being by yourself or following God? Why is that important? Um, I, I think first and foremost that uh, love is based in community. So Genesis 2 talks about, um, right from the beginning, God talks to man and says to Adam and says that uh, it is not good for you to be alone. And obviously the context is, t- is talking about the, uh, the marriage covenant with Eve, but I think, I think throughout the Bible the, the picture is painted that it's also bigger than just that, that, uh, that community is needed by us, that it's, it's actually in the Godhead. So it, it's even in God. So that, to me, when I found that out, it like blew my mind theologically, like, I had no, no, no idea about it, and I, and, that, and I think when I discovered that, it led to me realizing more so that I need my brethren, because I was always a very self-made kind of dude, you know, felt like I didn't need anyone, and, uh, but when I saw that God works in community throughout eternity, it, like, blew my mind, so the fact that, that he wants us physically to have another person, and then not only that, but that union also creates the family, which is the building block of civilization, of, of everything we know of, of this. Without family, we can't really build community. So the fact that he calls a church the family, that we call each other brothers and sisters, it's like that whole picture of the family being a, a, a cohesive unit is, uh, is the reason why I think we need community. I think it's from, from eternity till now. It's, it's, it's God wants us to do it, and I think we can't do it without it. We can't live this life without it. Man, that, I think that's a that's a that's a great um, response. And um, you know, when we were upstairs, we we talked about how how that's what God's ideal picture is, and that's what God calls us to do. But we were talking about how man, that's 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 super hard. Um, it's hard because because of just technology. Sometimes we can be our own. Maybe it's not our personality um, to to be to exist outside of our biological family, and. Um, sometimes that, that could be a little scary, right? Like, like in the Bible, we see how people away from community um, are, are in a dangerous place spiritually. So I, I wanted to ask, in, in what ways um, did, did your DNA help identify when, when you're beginning to slip away from the faith? Um, and, and how do we bounce back when we realize, like, man, I might be backsliding a little bit? Okay. Amen. Um, <clears throat> for me, it was again in chapter three in Second Timothy, and when I what I realized reflecting on it was like, like even Paul when he's talking to Timothy, he's telling him, "Oh, you know, just like Janice and Jambres, they opposed the faith. You know, they slipped away." And so, essentially, to me, I looked at it like, "Well, if they slipped away, it means that they really didn't accept the truth." If they slipped away, it means that they didn't uh, believe in what was being preached. They, or if they did, eventually they didn't hold on to it. And so for me, it was like, man, you know, they, they slipped away. But I look at it as like, when I, I don't slip away, like we may struggle, we may um, encounter difficulties, but that's when you're supposed to reach out. That's when you're supposed to reach out to people. 
Um, and that's how essentially you bounce it back. So instead of um, opposing the truth or doing what you're used to or what the world tells us to do, which is to isolate yourself, which I've experienced, and I saw that it just kept me further from God, which is, I think, essentially what it's saying here is when we slip away is because we didn't, um, we didn't humble ourselves and ask for help. So essentially, bouncing back to me is like, you got to make a choice and a decision. If you believe this truth and you accept this truth, then you have to do something different because what you've been doing is not working. So for me, I say bouncing back is saying, hey, sister, you know, like, man, I'm struggling this week. Can you pray for me? Like, I don't want to maybe tell you what I'm going through, but can you keep me in your prayers? You know, is humbling yourself to say, hey, sister, you know, um, can I, can we go for coffee? Can we, you know, can I come by? You know, just being able to take that small step and asking for help. So, so uh, did you want to add something to that? Yeah, I think um, going off of that, uh, you know, it's awesome seeing how being in community, uh, being, you know, in these DNA groups, um, you start to get to know each other at a personal level, right? So, you know, when you start hanging out with people, you know, you start noticing how they are usually, you know, when they're happy, when they're sad. So you almost get to know exactly how they're feeling on a day-to-day basis. And then when you start to, when, when you notice that your brother or sister is starting to feel a little, you know, start, starting to, you know, feel a little off, you know, that's when they can, your brother or sister can pick up and be like, hey, something's up with you, you know. And, you know, I've noticed that this is different about you or I haven't seen you in X amount of time. So it's like almost like, you know, hanging out with each other, it, it, it almost brings up that alert that's, you know, some, you know, you can tell and notice when somebody's good and when they're not. And then, you know, when they do notice that, it's, it's almost like they're, they, they just take that time out of the day to reach out to you and say, you know, I noticed it and I'm going to help, and I'm going to help you come back, you know, bring it back home. So it's almost like, man, you know, they're, they're chasing after me, even though I don't want to, I'm trying to distance, distance myself you know, I'm, I'm not really feeling it, but they're pushing it. You know, they, they want you to be here. And that's that kind of love just really encourages you to come back all together. You know, like, man, they really want to be here with me. And, and you know, that's, that's what I think. Right. And that's, and that's what family does, right? Going back to, to Jesse's point. Um, and, and sometimes uh, I, I think it's helpful to, to make, make people aware um, that something's going on because... Um, sometimes we think, man, people don't don't care about us. They don't really call us. They don't really. They're not really cognizant of what I, you know, what I'm going through. Um, and the truth is, they're probably going through a lot too. And sometimes bringing that awareness, maybe God is is put that on your heart so that you can you can reach out and say, hey, I'm going through this, um, and and allow people to to love on you. Um, and I think Satan is very strategic in isolating us away when we need God the most. And if we need God the most, then we need God's people at that moment because God delivers um, a word, healing through people. So we need to, right, we need to, we need to make people aware of what's going on, right? Um, so at the end of 2 Timothy, Paul, he's, he's, he's pretty much... You know, saying like this is this is it. I'm I'm about to die, um, and he tells his protege to make every effort to come visit him in prison twice. Think about that in the Bible. Whenever there's 
you know, something repeated twice or repetition has great emphasis. So I wanted to, to, to ask you guys, what, while you journeyed through your own trials through these DNA seasons, because, you know, I'm sure you had it, what kind of fruit did you see in your own personal life when brothers and sisters made every effort to meet with you? Um, for me, it's the, the, the realization that, that without time spent with a person, it's, it's hard to love them truly as you should. The, the people that we love the most in our, our most intimate circles are always those that we spend the most time with. For instance, my family, that, that's my number one, that I know that I love them and I know that, uh, that I'm doing my job or I'm trying to do my job. But without time, I wouldn't know them, so therefore it'd be hard to love them. You really have to know someone to love them, and that takes time. And this, like you said, this digital age or, or just our human nature, it, it's hard to us to do the work, to do the effort of spending time, quality time with people. And without time, I think it's hard to build community. And seeing, when I experienced DNA with, uh, with, with my brothers here, uh, it was actually Jeremy and Nathan, just the fact that they were, that we were just in conversation, just picking up little things that they said, you, you get to know them more, you get to see what they're going through. You get to see the day-to-day of their lives, and just knowing that little bit of information more than you knew before, uh, it creates something in you that, man, I want to help this dude. I love this dude. He's sharing this. He's, he's, he has enough confidence me, in me to share this stuff that, that's private, and uh, it makes me want to help him. It makes me want to learn, learn him more and, 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 and be in deeper community with him. I think that's, that's huge, to, to, just to know people and to have that opportunity to love them truly. And it, and it takes scheduling. Yeah, yeah, with, yeah, 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 especially if it's not a day-to-day thing like with your family. Yeah. It takes the hard work of scheduling and, and, and being there and making yourself go when even though you don't I, want to. I said I wasn't going to say this, but, man, can I, can, I, can I just tell them what time you go to work? Can I, can I, can I do well, well, I want to say this because um, Je- I was so blessed by that because Jesse goes to work at three thirty, or you go. Or five. You, I start five. at five. Okay, you start at, at five, um, and he has to be in bed early. Um, and one of the things that I loved about Jesse is like his yes was his yes. It was like no matter what was going on, it was like man, we got to meet. And I'm sure he was like me. Sometimes you felt like man, I don't know if I want to meet today about the Bible. I'm going through so much. Um, a pastor goes through that too, and uh, and. And his yes was his yes, and he was there, and it, it was amazing because um, we would sometimes be there till like 10 p.m., and this brother has to wake up in like, you know, five, six hours, but he's there. And that was, that was just a great blessing, but it, it reminded us, like, man, sometimes we just got to schedule these things and be militant and be like, man, nothing can get in the way um, of this. So, so as we think about this, as we wrap up, we also know, like, man, some people are more introverted. <laughs> some people are more extroverted. Um, some people are like, man, I'm good with just Netflix and my phone. I could, you know, watch church on my, my little screen. What, what, what do, how do we overcome having that personal touch? If maybe it's our personality or we're just used to doing something. How do we, how would you encourage people still struggling with that? 
uh, I would say, uh, personally for me, again, like I know that, you know, I've been here about a, a year and a half or two years, and I know I, I tend to isolate myself, and um, <clears throat> when you, you know, sin has a way of making you feel shame or embarrassment, so you know when you've done something that you're not really proud of, like you kind of like shy away, you know, you isolate yourself, um, but for me, the DNA has been a blessing because it forced me to have to not allow that to happen, so... Like, I know I'm an extrovert, <laughs> but sometimes I want to, again, I need that time to kind of be an introvert. But what was so beautiful about it is, like, I looked forward every week, and then I kind of did two, two DNAs. Because <laughs> <Well, you> <laughs> so, <laughs> I was so hungry and so, like, just in need of something different and, like, that push and that encouragement that I'm like, I'm going to be rebellious or overachiever which way you want to look at it, but I was like, I'm doing two groups because I need me some some sisters' time, you know, some some fellowship. So it, like, like going to these groups made me look forward to it, and it helped me, like, be on my game, you know? Like, it helped me to... Um, they challenged it. Like, that's the beauty about, like, the groups is that there's different kind of people and so personalities and character. So you're going to have some sisters that are like, um, sister, what are you doing about that? What are you, you're saying it, but what are you doing? And so I have a, a beautiful sister that kind of challenged me in that way. And so uh, she, like, like, it made me be like, okay, be about this thing. Be different, right? Like chapter six, be different. So it like made me have to um, say the truth, reach out and text like, prayer or um but it also challenged me to like actually open up my bible read it spend time in prayer and that way like when the sister asked well what did you do this week is like man I opened up my bible I started in genesis or I prayed I spent time in worship I was crying all week in the car crying all week in the you know in the bathroom and it's like so it just kind of forced you to you know take that step and do something that you probably wouldn't would it normally do. Amen, amen. Well, I just want to say thank you all for for being diligent. And to everybody else who, who did DNAs as well, can we give our panelists a hand clap? We, we want to encourage you to, 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 to be in community. We know that it's, it's so easy to isolate ourselves, especially when, we, when we're in sin or we feel shame, but um, we, we want to openly receive you. And we mean that. We want to openly receive you and love on you. Um, so with that, can, can I just pray for the panelists and just our DNAs? Can we do that, church family? Father, we thank you, Lord, God, because um, you provided community, Lord, as a strategy, probably the greatest strategy, um, Lord, to help us overcome evil. Lord, and I thank you for these panelists. Lord, I thank you for all the DNAs represented on this stage and all the DNAs across the church. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for those who have walked across the finish line of those five weeks, for those who are almost there. Lord, we pray that much fruit would come out of this in the next months, days, and years for your glory and your glory alone. We glorify you, Jesus, and we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give it up one more time.
thankful for these guys. Man, so cool to see what God is doing. I know you all have different stories as well of what God's been doing in your lives through the journey of following Jesus. So um, this is what it's about. We, we just got to keep living this life. The Christian life gets difficult. Some of you are exploring the Christian faith. Maybe you're not quite following Jesus yet. You're trying to figure out what it's like. Some of you are very early in the journey where you're like, I feel like a, a, a baby, an infant, or a toddler in the faith. And some of you are quite seasoned, and we all need each other. We all need each other. And for those of you who are exploring the faith and looking and saying, man, is Jesus worth living for? Um, man, I tell you, he is. He is the best thing that could ever happen to you. And even hearing from these, these brothers and from Janet there, um, man, what, what a testimony of that. And I think others of us will say the same. So we want you to encounter this Jesus because he is real and he is alive. Amen? All right. So before we get up, um, open God's word. I know it's a little bit later, so I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take off this plane and land it pretty quickly here. But before that, I just want us to, to take some time to pray for a moment. Uh, some different prayer requests. You guys uh, know of the, the shooting in El Paso yesterday. Many of you have heard of. Man, and some, I've heard reports of something this morning. Like, our world is just so broken. People need Jesus. And he is the answer. Um, our city is broken. There's so many shootings here and problems. And then um, many are, are there's illnesses. Um, going on. Uh, you know, we have someone in our church family, Kate uh, uh, Phillips, who's got severe vertigo, has been really battling that for a couple years now, and it's been really bad this week. We just have to pray for her. And then we got uh, another really, really uh, weighty thing yesterday that came through we want to tell you guys about. So um, one of our church family members, their son, um, so it's Michael and Lumi Amade and the Valentin family, their son Ethan, was diagnosed with leukemia yesterday. And so um, we're going to be praying for the, for the Amadeus, for the Valentines, for Ethan. You guys, if you guys know Ethan, you may not know them. Um, if you've seen him, if you know him, you know he shot you with his Spider-Man web. He's always active, running around. He's three years old, and um, they're at Lurie Children's Hospital right now. He'll begin chemo on Tuesday. Um, he's going through some blood transfusions right now. And uh, just pray for them. Uh, this, is, this is not what you expect when you walk into a doctor's office. And I know all of us in different times have either personally had similar experiences or someone we know who we love. And um, in these moments, you're like, Lord, this makes no sense. There's no answer, right? Um, and it's okay. It's okay to say it doesn't make any sense, God. Um, but like always, family, whenever tragedy hits us, we hold on to what we know is true. When our emotions are all over the place, what do we know is true of our God? But that he is good. That he loves us. And even our hurt is not meant to be for our harm. And he's forming us. And uh, so please be praying for them. Uh, if you know them personally, reach out to them. And um, there's others of you who I know are struggling with different things. Family, let's, let's pray. And let's trust our God and trust ourselves to him, knowing that he is good and his love is perfect even when it just makes no sense. Let's pray. Oh, Father, your word says, Paul writes, Maranatha, which means our Lord come. Sometimes, God, we just look at his life and say, Jesus, would you just come? Just come, take me home. I'm tired of these, this life, this battle. 
tired of the brokenness, the hurts, and Lord, even as we hurt on the stage, the more we love, the greater the hurts can be. So we just cry out, Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come. We long for that day when you will part the sky and we will ascend to be with you forever. And the dead in Christ will rise and we who are alive will meet you in the air. We long for that day. But, oh, Lord, we know that you're delaying the return is not because you're slow to fulfill your promises, but it's because you're merciful, God. Because the more you delay, the more time there is for people who don't know you to come to know you. Because when you come, it's over. It's time. time is up. And so, Lord, so long as you put breath in each of our lungs, so long as there is time, God, may we live for you with all that we've got. God, let us not waste our lives, Lord. Lord, there are people around us literally dying. There are families in El Paso, Texas, who woke up today with their lives radically altered forever. Lord, there are people in our city, in our church family. Lord, we just, we just say, Lord, have your way in us, but use us to let the gospel, the good news, this, this good news of Jesus, saturate our lives and be on our lips to see you redeem people and bring eternal life. I thank you, Lord, that Michael and Lumi know you, that they love you, that their eternity is secure in what Jesus has accomplished. So even now in their hurt, God, I know and I hear from them, Lord, that there is hope in Christ. God, would you heal Ethan, Lord? You are the great physician. You are the God that is in control of all things, and there is nothing too great for you. So, Lord, we just pray in faith with our feeble faith and our weak knees. Would you heal Ethan, God? Would you bring him through this, God? Bring him full recovery, oh, Lord Jesus. We know you can do this, Lord. We pray the same for our sister Kate, who's been battling such severe vertical. God, I know it's been such a discouragement to her, Lord. Would you, uh, would you just heal her, Lord, and touch her, Lord? May her husband Joshua... Just know how to best come alongside of her, Lord. Would you just bless them? For others in our family, Lord, who I know are battling illness, some recovering from cancer, some with fibromyalgia, God, MS, God, um, other diseases, lupus, God. There's just so many different things that we know has attacked us, some things that have yet to be diagnosed, Lord. We just know something maybe is wrong. God, we just give it all to you. Lord, we know that in Christ... Our healing eternally is secure. And there will be one day where there will be no more tears, no more sickness, no more illness, and we will be whole and healed in your presence. And so, Lord, should you choose to do that now in this life or not, we know you will do it in the next. So we just pray for it now while hoping in it later. So, Lord, even this too is part of the Christian life, and we lean on you. I thank you that we have family here, our church family. We love each other hard, Lord, with the ups and downs. And will you just extend grace to all of us and help us extend grace to one another as we walk this life. I pray this, Lord. And I ask now, Lord, that as I open your word, I pray that you speak to me by your spirit and show us, Lord, your vision for our lives to the glory and praise of your name. Amen. God is good family. And all the time, even when life is hard, 
thought it was fitting we opened up with that song today, that God is good, right? It's a celebratory song, and as I sang it there, and saying, Lord, we sing this song in celebratoriness sometimes, and sometimes we see it through, sing it through tears. But the truth is, He is good. Family, this is part of our, our Christian journey, if you are a child of God today. And um, it's wild to me how God just puts things together, because we want us to understand something about Christianity. There, there's no chocolate-covered, rose-colored glasses kind of Christianity that we're uh, giving to you here at the brook. We're not telling you life's going to become perfect and happy and easy after you put your faith in Jesus. No. Now you see, we're, 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 we're emotional right now. But what we can tell you, and what we will always tell you, is that life is secure in Jesus no matter what comes our way. And he is the best thing that will ever happen to you. He is worthy of all praise. He is worthy of you giving your life. We can give God a better hand clap than that, God. He is he's worth it, church family. He is worth it. And we will live for him no matter what. If you don't know Jesus, we want you to know him today. Following Jesus is called discipleship. He is our master. We are his servants. And when we walk with him, we get to walk and experience life abundantly in in the ups and in the downs. Uh, Erica and I, this is my first time preaching in a few Sundays. We were away in Puerto Rico with our family and others and our church family. And in Puerto Rico, we met Christians' family. And they kind of look like us. And we're not talking about ethnicity. Uh, Yesterday, Erica and I got to hear, I'm sorry, Friday got to hear from a pastor in Cuba who was here in Chicago talking about the work God is doing in Cuba. And you know what? He happened to look like us. There was a family resemblance. We also met a brother who was here in Chicago getting ready to go plant a church. He's an African brother from Kenya, ready to go back to Kenya to plant a church. And you know what? He looked like us. We, we shared a resemblance with him. We were in Colorado a couple of weeks ago, and I met Christians from all over the country. And guess what? We share a family resemblance. Because at the heart of discipleship, of following Jesus, is the ultimate goal of looking like Jesus, family. And the more we grow with him, the more we look like him. And as we walk with him, we start looking like each other. There's a family resemblance in the family of God. It's interesting how John says it in 1 John 4. He says, no one has ever seen him. But when we love one another, essentially, people get to see him. So the invisible God is made visible, yes, ultimately through Jesus who became God, who is God who became a man. But God is also, also visible through the church. Because we share a family resemblance. The ultimate goal of discipleship is to conform to Jesus. Yes, we want to follow others as they follow Christ, right? We want to do that. Yes, we need spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers in our lives. We need that. But let's not get it twisted, church family, that the ultimate goal, the finish line, the end for which we strive is to look like Jesus. That's why Paul says in Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Or as Angelica read for us earlier, that when we see Jesus, we will be like him, for we will see him just as he is, conformed to him. And so this is what we want. But we also know that the call to conform to Jesus comes because there are things in us that resist conforming to Jesus. 
There are plenty of things in you and in me that will cause us to be astray, and then there's pitfalls in our world. I want us to turn to the book of Luke, chapter 6. I'm going to be quick here as I expound this passage for us. Book of Luke, chapter 6. And I'll be reading here in a moment from verses 39 through 49, where Jesus talks about discipleship, following him. Would you please, uh, if you're able to, rise to your feet as I read from Luke chapter 6, verses 39 through 49. Some of this I'll be summarizing when we get to the exposition part, but I just want to put the passage in front of us. This is what Jesus says. He told them this parable. This is about discipleship. He says, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? See, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out that speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. And then verse 43, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own what? Fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and an evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of this heart, his mouth speaks. And then verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, can you say does them? Does them. I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose and a stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the streams broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. This is God's word for us, family. You may be seated. Jesus is here talking to a great crowd of people. And... In fact, we're told in verse 17 something about this crowd. Look at what it says here in verse 17. Jesus came down with them, referring to the 12 disciples, and he stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people. Notice the distinction there. Jesus is here ready to teach with a crowd of disciples and a great multitude of people. And Luke is making a distinction here between two people groups here. Those who are following Jesus and those who were around Jesus. I don't know if you heard me here, all right? To be around Jesus does not constitute that you are a follower of Jesus. And there was a great multitude around Jesus, and among that multitude, though, were some disciples, followers of Jesus, and Jesus speaks to them, but then he narrows the people he's addressing in verse 20. Look what it says there. He lifted up his eyes on his who? Disciples. 
So what we're seeing here is that Jesus is here addressing a great crowd, but specifically speaking to the disciples, his followers, not just the 12, but those who would follow Jesus. And he's basically telling them, this is what a follower of me looks like. He gives a list of different things, different qualities. But then he says there in verse 39, an important lesson about who we follow. He says, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? Now, that's a very prominent cultural parable that we've heard even in America and throughout all of of human history. And especially in the ancient Near Eastern culture, um, blindness was a very large problem and something that happened often because there was not medical technology, um, there was cataracts, there was not um, different uh, assistance for vision. So people were very familiar with this analogy. But what Jesus says here, he takes the analogy of something that's very common to people around him. He says, but there's a spiritual truth to this. Just as someone who is without vision cannot lead another person without vision around, so it is someone without spiritual vision cannot lead another person without spiritual vision because they will both fall into a pit. Let me say it this way. If spiritually blind people follow spiritually blind leaders they will end up in a pit. See, discipleship says we are following a particular leader. And honestly, the truth of the matter is all of us are disciples of someone. In fact, in Ephesians 2, Paul says that we were following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that was at work in the sons of disobedience, referring to Satan. And basically that that, that distinction is made. We're either following Jesus or following ourselves, which is fueled by Satan and his desire to keep us away from God. And so Jesus is like, look, any other follow, any other leader other than me is a blind leader, and blind leaders lead people into places that are pitfalls. So he makes it very clear here. And another thing that Jesus has, he looks at the religious leaders of his own day saying like, You guys actually are those blind leaders. In fact, he says in Matthew 13, Jesus has a way with words. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom in people's faces. Or then he says, Woe to you, blind guides, you blind fools, you blind men, you blind guides straining out gnats and swallowing a camel. He's not too happy with that. Because what Jesus understands is, when there are leaders and people in our world that would claim to have the answers but are not tethered to God and his answers, they're leading people into destruction. And so Jesus addressing this crowd of people who are around him but not yet following him, he wants them to understand something. Who you follow is your leader. And basically it begs the question, who are you and I following? Because the next statement he makes, a disciple in verse 40, is not above his teacher. So basically, if you, lead, if you follow somebody who does not know the way to God, you're never going to get to God because you're never beyond your teacher. What an interesting way of putting something. So plainly, yet so profoundly. See, our earthly guides have limitations, family. Crooked guides lead to crooked lives, and crooked paths lead to crooked places. Who are you and I following? What's at the key of our discipleship? Who's got your ear? 
That's what it comes down to. Who, who is influencing your life? And as we were talking here in this panel discussion, I love how they put it, like, look, there's so many distractions, so many pitfalls that would seek to pull us away from following Jesus, right? We talk about social media, talk about news networks, Netflix, our own passions, desires, sports, whatever it is. But ultimately, who's got your ear and are their voices being filtered? You know, in Christianity today, we're seeing a lot of prominent people who are turning away from the faith. In fact, uh, we shared this with uh, some men this past week. Um, there was a pastor who, who uh, many of us have looked up to who recently renounced Christianity. And that, that's, a, that's pretty jarring, honestly. That, that's pretty alarming. And I don't, I don't know what happened there. <clears throat> but what I do know is that when we loosen our grasp of Jesus and allow other guides into our lives, their crooked leadership will lead us into crooked places. I think all of us need to be so cognizant of who are we following? Who are the people that have got our ear and are we filtering out what they're teaching us? Now this might seem obvious to some of us, but I think it's worth stating. Why do we follow Jesus then? What makes Jesus a suitable guide for us? You with me here, fam? What makes Jesus somebody that we should follow step by step as opposed to other voices in our lives? That's the question people are asking. And if someone's going to turn away from their faith, they've determined that Jesus is not a seeing guide. So what I want to do is brag about Jesus for a little bit with you guys. Can I do that? Can, can I tell you why Jesus is a guide worth following and a guide that we ultimately want to conform into? I, I'm going I'm to dish out a meal for you here, family. We don't have time for a, for a five-course meal, though. I'm already over my time as it is. But I'm going to give you a little cuisine of Christology, by the way. Christology is the study of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you why he's worth it. We're going to serve some meat on the table because he did come in the flesh, didn't he? And he came in the flesh to save us. Let me remind you that he's the supreme guide because he is the supreme God. Let me remind you that he precedes everything and everything proceeds from him, right? Can I, can I remind you of his eternality? When he stared down these very religious leaders and said, before Abraham was, what? Let me remind you about his deity, how even the winds and the waves obey him. He's worth following, family, as we consider his works and all of creation. And that's not even to say of his redemptive work, of how far we were, but how he came in the flesh and his story is interwoven throughout Scripture to save us when we could do nothing to save ourselves. Can I tell you that he's worth following because he himself left his throne to come on this earth, to walk in this place in ways that you could not walk? He's worth following because he knew our plight. He knew we were ungrateful, yet he would give us the greatest gift. Can I tell you he's worth following? Though we push him away, he keeps drawing us near. Can I tell you he's worth following? And that this dish is a seasoned dish. Because in this dish, there is a great exchange of our sin for his righteousness. Can I remind you, family, how he tore that curtain down? 
And he gave us access to God the Father. And we don't need to go through a priest. We don't need to go through a temple. We have access to God. Can I tell you, family, he's worth following? Because he went to the grave where you and I deserve to go. But death took an L when he elevated from death, family. Jesus is worth following. He's the one who purchased you. He is your master and he is your Lord. Therefore, we could be his servants. We could be his followers. He is worthy of it, family. Are you with me here, fam? Why shouldn't we follow Jesus? And yet there are so many voices in our world telling us he's not better. But on what basis? Family, it's what enters our ears that begins to influence our lives. So I tell you, filter what you hear and let the word of God be what you are consuming. Let the church be those who are around you calling you to follow Jesus. Jesus says the disciple is not above his teacher. Well, then we need the teacher who must be the highest, don't we? He says, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Who are you fully training to be like? A guide who is blind or a guide who is omnispective, who sees everything, family. See, this is what Jesus calls us to to trust him when things are dark. Trust him when we get diagnoses that we don't want. Trust him when trials enter our lives because we know that though it's dark, Jesus got night vision and sees what's going on, family. So our goal is to be fully trained like Jesus. Now, we can't do that on our own effort. The Bible shows us that the Spirit of God that indwells every child of God will guide us and help us grow to follow him. But there is an aspect that you and I must have a proactive choice to make, saying, I will follow Jesus. See, when we do so, there begins to be a family resemblance among us. Jesus knows the way and shows the way because he is the way, family. And so when we do so, we say, Jesus, have your way in me. Now, I don't have time to go through all this, but I'm going to state some things real here, right quick. In the next passage, he talks about those who make judgments of people, saying, you got a speck in your eye, but I got a log in my own eye. See, following Jesus means we got to take a, a very honest assessment of ourselves. And an honest assessment says, look, I'm actually a blind follower. Jesus, I need someone to lead me here. So I'm not standing in judgment of others who seem to have specks in their eyes. God, I know I got a log, which is why, Jesus, I got to follow you. So we got to honestly assess ourselves as we follow him. We need to secondly treasure Jesus above all. See, Jesus says a tree, a good tree bears good, good fruit. And they will know who we follow by the fruit that we bear. That doesn't mean we've got it all together and are perfect, but it does mean that we're holding on to Jesus. You see, it's so important because in Jesus' days, the Pharisees had good theology for the most part. Satan got good theology for the most part. And so we got to understand that it's not just a natural outcome that having good belief leads to a good life. See, we must believe the truth, but then we must trust God to transform us by the power of the gospel than to live out that truth. See, good doctrine 
the, 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 the theological word is orthodoxy, which means right doctrine. But right living is orthopraxy. They got to come together, family. They got to come together. So when we treasure Jesus above all, he begins that work in us. Yes, cross your theological T's. Yes, dot your biblical I's. But divide the scriptures and also divide your heart. Say, God, work in me. Last thing, Jesus talks about the one who builds a house on a, without a foundation. He goes on to say, right, everyone who comes to me and hears my word does them. So we, yes, honestly assess ourselves, treasure him above all, but then radically obey Jesus. He must be our guide. And I think it's pretty wild how the older my daughter gets, the more she looks like her mama. And not just looks like her, but actually even acts like her. There's a family resemblance. Let it be said of us, family, when the world looks at us, they see Jesus. They see our Heavenly Father. They see the Holy Spirit at work. But just as a child, as they grow older, begins to act more like their parent, we've got to grow and look more like our God in heaven. And that's going to take time. But it all begins with a choice, and that choice is to follow Jesus as the ultimate goal of your discipleship. If you're a follower of Jesus today, I tell you, stay on that journey, no matter what comes your way, no matter how dark it gets, Jesus is worth it. If you've never put your faith in Jesus today, I need you to understand this, that he sees through the darkness, that he offers you forgiveness because he took the punishment on the cross that you deserved, and that he conquered death so you don't have to die eternally. And that is applied to you when you surrender and you raise that white flag saying, Jesus, forgive me for all I've done, my sins. I want to follow you. And when you do that with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, the Holy Spirit lives in you then. And from that moment on, and you are adopted into God's family, and you start looking like him. And that's what God offers to you today. And that's what I want you to know. Church family, let us all share this family resemblance keeping our eyes on Jesus, remembering that he is the ultimate goal of our discipleship. And by God and for his glory, Jesus is worth following. I'm asking after I pray here, our prayer team to come forward and our worship team to come up as I pray. Family, let's be those who remain fervent in our walk and fervent in walking with others no matter what trials come our way because there's some hard ones coming at us. God is good. All right, let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, that your word will not return void when it goes out. My God, I thank you, Lord, that um, Jesus lived the life we could not live to die the death that we deserved. And God, it's when life doesn't look the way that we think it should, and when those curveballs come, that, that this matters even most, Lord. So, Father, I pray that we would lock arms together so that when one falls, we pick them up and we would never kick one another when we're down. Protect us from isolation, God. Keep us on the path of community, following Jesus. And, Father, for any who don't know you here today, bring them into your family today, Lord. Let them feel the weight of their sin and also the freedom that's offered through Jesus. We worship you, Lord. And we thank you, God, that our faith is a living one because our God is a living one. We cry out to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Let's all rise to our feet. And our prayer team is here forward. God is burdening you in any way. Please do come forward. Let them pray for you. If you want to know how to follow Jesus, how to have a personal relationship with him, our prayer team would love to walk you through that. If it's not yet clear to you. Family, let's lift up our voices. Let's lift up our prayers as we sing. For our God is worthy.